We're going to talk about coming to church today. And I want you to go ahead and take down your your defense for a minute. I'm going to try not to preach at you and make you feel guilty about how much you come to church. It's not the goal today. But we are going to talk about it. And uh, I want to start out with something that may be familiar to a lot of you. To some of you younger generations in the room, it may not mean a whole lot to you, but for some of us, um, you'll know exactly what, it's, what it is, and um, you, you may even be tempted to sing along, and it's okay, um, but we're, I want you to watch this video with us. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. You can do it. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Our troubles are all the same. for anybody <laughs> cheers was uh one of those great uh american sitcoms cheers ran from 1982 to 1993 originally on nbc came on thursday nights anybody rem- you guys remember watching cheers on thursday nights at home um one of my favorite tv theme songs of all time like it's just a it's, it's a great song and the piano part like i thought of dan Every time I was listening to it this weekend, I was like, um, because uh, I'm sure he can play it if we ask him to. But um, So the, everybody knows that Cheers is all about a bar. Now, before you, before you freak out, that's not what we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about alcohol. And, you know, don't spaz out on me because I just showed you that. There's a point. But the show, the show is about uh, all of these people who would come, who would come to the Cheers Bar, and they all, um, they all were very much, very similar. They all had similar likes, dislikes. The problems that they had when they came together were similar. Their friendships were similar. So it was a, it was a place of commonality. But at the same time, all of the characters that would come in and out of that place were so different. And they varied. They had different problems. They had different looks, different appearances, different backstories to all of their lives. And, but the cool thing about Cheers was that no matter how different all the characters were, when they all got in there together, they had something in common. And they shared, they, they shared a community together when they were there at the bar. And the reason I think that they shared that commonality is... Let's be honest, a bar is a pretty easy place to share that kind of commonality because there really isn't any judgment there at the bar because everybody knows that if they're hanging out there, they all have their issues. 
And there's no need to try to act like everything's okay when it's not. Sometimes the bar is where you go to unload and tell everybody what a horrible day you had and what's going on, all the problems that you have at home. And, and, and that was what the characters all brought to the show and, and had in common. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to the lyrics of the theme song, but I want to read them to you and I want you to think through them. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Would you? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. You want to go where people know people are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Do you feel that way about the church? Just asking. Do you feel like you could sing that song and talk about our church? And we're going to get, I want us to be specific this morning. We're not just talking about the whole church overall. We're talking about right here. We're talking about First Baptist Lindale. What happens in these walls? What happens when we and other people walk through these doors? And like I said, before you, before you jump to a conclusion and say, oh, he's going to give us one of these guilt trip messages about how, come we, how often we come to church, um, let me just tell you, that, that, is what we're going, that is what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> uh, so just, just be upfront about it. Um, not to bring guilt, but to make us think. Um, I want you to find the book of Hebrews in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at a couple of different passages of Scripture this morning. There they are on the screen. If you want to go ahead and, and be navigating toward those, we're going to look in Hebrews 10 and Ecclesiastes 4 this morning. Just try to be very brief, but at the same time, I want us to capture the, the importance of the time that we spend here together. What kind of community do we have in this place when we come together? What kind of community do other people want when they come in here? What kind of community do we want to exist in this place? But most importantly, what kind of community does God want to be present in this place, in this building, in this body of believers? And so we're going to look at that and see how important that is. In Hebrews 10, we're going to start in verse 19. Um, from the NIV, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, talking about Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is 
faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. Now, it's all of these things go together. It would be real easy for us to just pull verse 24 and 25 out, which is what a lot of people do. Pull those verses out and say, oh, this is verses about you need to come to church. You, need to, you don't need to skip church. You need to be here. Yes, that's true. But we, get, we have to go back to verse 19 because that explains the, the depth and the, and the why of, of why do we do that and how, why, are, why is that such a big deal? And in those verses, what I want, and, and you can look back on them on your own, but what I want to do is show you, uh, I, I know we've got English teachers in the house. There were, you remember in school when you, you studied in English that there are um, such a thing as if-then statements in English that would say, like, an if this, 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 then this, this, this. And, and you learned about that in English. Well, that's kind of what's going on here in this passage. But instead of if then, there's a since then thing going on. So Hebrews is saying since this is true and this is true, as a result of these things being true, then these should be true also. Let us, because of this, this and this, let us follow through with this, okay? In the beginning there, verse 19, what are the... What are the sense statements? Like, what are the things that, that we start with that we know are true? Verse 19 says, Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body. All right, first of all, the sense, since we can confidently pray straight to the Father because of Jesus' sacrifice. Since we have an open ear to the throne of God when we pray, we don't have to be timid, we don't have to be shy, we don't have to wonder if he hears us. But since there's an open communication with the Father through what Jesus has done on the cross, that's the first one, since that is true. And then verse 21, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, and the great priest is Jesus himself. You say, well, well why is it a big deal that, that we come to church? Well, because since we can confidently come into the presence of God in worship and through prayer, and since we have Jesus as our high priest before God, that he's our advocate, he goes, he goes before us to the Father. Have you ever tried to pray and you didn't know how to say it and your heart just is feeling something that you, you didn't know how to put into words and you didn't know how to say it? That's what, that's what the scripture says that Jesus does. That when our, when our hearts and our spirits just want to cry out to God, but you say, God, I don't even know how to tell you how I feel. The scripture says that's what Jesus does. I, I th- Jesus does that. I think he does that with us Every time we pray, and I think he comes to the Father for me, and he says, Eric is babbling and running his mouth, Father. And, but this is what his heart's trying to say to you. This is what he needs 
This is what he's asking us for. And he, and he does that on all of our behalfs to the Father. And we know that's true because the word promises it. And he says, so since those things are true, then verse 23, no, verse 22, starts with let us. So that's the beginning of the then. Since these are true, since we can pray to the Father, since we have Jesus as our high priest to go before us and go with us to the Father, then these things should, should be the response, our response to those truths. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. When we draw near to God, in confession, like, y'all, Jesus' goal is not to heap guilt on us. It's to cleanse us from it. Sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilt, a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. To draw, to draw near to God. God has opened the veil. He's opened the curtain through Jesus. And he says, because, because that is true... Don't waste it. Don't, don't approach God or see God as some distant, far-off, cosmic police chief. Like, see Him as your Father and draw close to Him. So he says, let us draw close. Verse 23, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For He who promised is faithful. Do you believe God keeps His promises? I mean, really? And that's what he says here. Hold on, let us, let us draw near to God and hold on to the hope that we have because God keeps his promises. And y'all, our, our hope as Christians is heaven. Our hope is that in the end, everything that corrupts and, and destroys what God originally built to be good, that in the end, he conquers all of that. And that he, he establishes his kingdom over everything. And that we have heaven and eternal life and eternal presence with him. That's our, that's our hope. Like why do, we, why do we strive to live for, live for God in the first place? So his kingdom comes. Because it will. And, and the scripture says, he has, For he who promised is faithful. He's going to keep his promises. So because those things are true, let's, let's draw near to God, hold on to our hope of heaven because God keeps his promises. And then, verse 24, and let us consider how we can spur one another onto love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more you see the day approaching. So we, he says, because... We can pray confidently to Father. We know that Jesus is our high priest. Then let us draw near to God. Let us hold tight to the hope that we have. And let us figure out how to motivate each other by being together. Let us figure out how to do that by being together. And especially because Jesus is almost here. 
He says, as you see the day approaching and you understand that Jesus is coming, you should be coming together like that even more. Now, you may hear all those things and you go, Eric, it's hard to draw near to God. It's hard for me. Like, my life is crazy. There's so much stuff. There's, there's activities and my kids, like I have my kids and I have my spouse and I have my job and I have the rest of our family and I have our friends and there are all these things. And, and sometimes I'm pulled in so many different directions. By the time I get home and I'm quiet, I'm like falling asleep because I'm so exhausted. And it's hard for me to draw near to God. I don't, I don't know if I know how to draw near to God and to hold on to the hope of heaven that's hard because life is difficult somebody told me this morning during the 830 service they, they said please pray for me I had a friend that killed themselves this week now that's it's hard sometimes but all of those things are connected. And for all of us that are Christians, if God says, I want, you should draw near to me and you should hold on to the hope of heaven that I've given you, the best way that I know of to draw near to God and to hold on to your hope is to motivate and be motivated by other believers that you regularly come together with. I think there's a direct correlation. Most of the people that I talk to who are having trouble really holding on to their hope and people who feel like they're not drawing close to God, I don't see them around here very often. And, I don't, and that's not a judgment. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a result of what the scriptures say. God has given us each other. So that we can help each other draw close to the Father. And we can help each other hold on to our hope when it's hard to hold on to by ourselves. We, we come in here and we hold on to that hope together. When we sing songs of worship, that's what we're doing. We're, we're singing those songs not just to God, but we're singing them to each other. And we're helping each other hold on to the hope that we know is true. But it's so easy for us to forget. And to be here, sometimes, if it's for nothing else, is to be reminded of something that you've known all along, you just forgot. Because life went nuts on you. How does your connection with your church family affect your closeness to Jesus? That's the question I think you should think about. And, and, and I think if we look at the scriptures, the scriptures teach us that those two are very much tied together. Your closeness, your, your, your relationship with your church family, your participation in God's church, and your closeness to Jesus. God did not design you to be Lone Ranger Christian, to go live and be a hermit and follow after him all alone. It's just not the way he designed the kingdom. Whether you like it or not, you need each other. You may not 
want it to be that way sometimes because we're all different. We get on each other's nerves. We hurt each other's feelings. But you need one another. I need you. You need me. You need that person who's sitting across the aisle on the other side of the church that you've never even talked to before. You need them. They need you. That person who comes in for the first time and doesn't know anything. You need them. And they need you. Everybody, it's all connected. We're not supposed to just go it alone. Um, look in Ecclesiastes 4. Flip over to that one now. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Looking in verse 9. And this is often a passage that you'll hear at a wedding every once in a while. And it very much applies to marriage relationships, to, to establishing a home in Christ. But I think it, it can apply to us as, as brothers and sisters in the church as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Two are better than one. That's not rocket science. I mean, that's, that applies to lots of stuff, right? That applies to relationships, to people. It applies to donuts. Two is better than one. It says, but two people are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Verse 10 says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Pity on them, the scripture says. Verse 12, also if two lie down together, they, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And we live this out every day of our lives. Some of you ladies, you know what it feels like to be, uh, like you don't want to go, you may not want to go to the grocery store at night by yourself. You want your husband or somebody to go with you because you know somebody may jump you in the parking lot. That's always in the back of your mind. So you know that if you have somebody with you, that you're good. Um, like traveling, taking a road trip, sometimes it's not good. If, if I ever got, like this past week, I, I went out of town like an hour away. It wasn't even a long way. And Kim was just torn up because I was going by myself. Well, you need somebody to go with you. No, I really, I'll be fine. No, you, should, you shouldn't go by yourself. She was afraid I would fall asleep driving is what she was afraid of. It's always good to have a second person with you. Like all the time. It just makes sense. It's not just a church thing. It's that, that's like a normal life thing. If you get in trouble and you got a wingman, I mean, every maverick's got to have his goose. You, you, like when you get in trouble, you, you got somebody who can, who's there that can help you. Somebody, at the very least, if somebody's jumping me, I got somebody with me, they can go find somebody else, go get help or something. If they're not going to jump in and Help me, you know. <laughs> I mean, uh, you're always better off with somebody with you. If you're alone, 
You work harder. These scriptures say when we're by ourselves, when we're loners, we, we have to work harder. And we're often found in situations where we're helpless and vulnerable. And it's a pitiful place to be when you're by yourself. So if two people are better than one, I love how the end of verse 12 says, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So if two is better than one, and then the scripture follows that up and says, but if you got three, that's even way better than two, right? So let's just do the math, y'all. If three is better than two, and two is better than one, what if we had five? Better? Yeah. And what if you, had, you went from five, instead of five, you had ten? Ten people to like do your thing with. That, that's better. It's exponential. It just gets better and better and better. The more people who are tied together, like that cord of three strands that are all wrapped together and they're unified and they make one rope. Put four together like that. Put five, put ten, put twenty. And it just becomes completely unbreakable. You need each other to make that unbreakable rope. I need you to make my rope strong. Has anybody ever seen a real igloo? Probably not. Oh, maybe? Yeah? Oh, that's awesome. Um, I've never seen a real igloo, but seen pictures. And uh, let me tell you something about an igloo. Everybody knows uh, an igloo is a, is a dwelling made out of snow. And the best way to make an igloo is to get the kind of snow that you can pack and build and built into blocks. And then you pack those blocks on each other and you build, build an igloo. And it's kind of in a dome shape like this. And uh, there's, a, there's a picture that Anna actually found during the 830 service. That yeah, look at that. We're gonna just we're just gonna build one. So there's uh, there's some like pictures of kind of now you've got another picture though, Anna. Show let me let's see the other one. Did you have another one? Yeah, that's it. All right. There's a science to an igloo. Now you wouldn't think an igloo would be a place that you want to like cuddle up with popcorn and watch Netflix in. You, you would think that's not very comfortable. It's cold. Well, the way an igloo's built, if you see up there on the top right. The entrance to an igloo is actually built, when you walk in, it goes under the, the surface of the ground and then goes down underneath the dome and then comes back up into the dome. And somehow, I'm not a, I'm not a science teacher. Some of you guys know all about the science of that. I don't. But somehow, the cold air, because cold air sinks, hot air rises, with, with the entrance being down below the surface and then comes up into the igloo, all the cold air sinks down into the, the tunnel part of the entrance. And then the, the, the heat, the body heat from, from the people who are in the igloo, it's contained inside the dome and it doesn't escape out that trench, the entrance, because it's lower, so the hot air rises 
and it actually changes the interior temperature inside the igloo, and it's incredibly warm. And, and here's the numbers, which this just blew my mind. And, and igloos are built in different sizes. Some igloos are, are, are very temporary for like hunters that might just spend like one or two people stay in them and they're only good for a day or two. And then other times there are whole dwellings that are built that are all connected together and like 20 people can live in them. But listen to this number. If the outside temperature of an igloo that's built the right way is negative 49 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, it was cold this past couple of weeks, y'all, but it ain't that cold. Negative 49 degrees Fahrenheit outside. You know what the temperature range it's possible depending on the number of people inside the igloo? This is going to blow your mind. It, I just, my brain just went... The inside temperature can range anywhere from 19 degrees above. We're talking outside, it's negative 49. It can range anywhere from 19 to 60 inside the igloo. Now, don't ask me how. I'm not the science guru. I can't tell you how that happens. Except that the temperature of warmth inside the igloo is directly proportional to the number of people who are in it together. This is our igloo. This, this place, this family, this building, this is our igloo. And the more of us who are in here together, the more of us that are in the family, that are together, the, the warmer it's going to be. The, more, the better we're going to be able to, to live and thrive and work and do God's will. But I figure if we, if, if we relate this to the church, you see the igloo in one of two different ways. You either right now, as I give you that picture, you're either picturing yourself inside the igloo because that's, that's the way you see the church. But there's some of us that when we look at that, we know and we picture ourselves completely standing outside the igloo because we've never experienced the warmth of the inside of it for whatever reason. Things happen to us. We get hurt. Somebody who means well says something stupid that just was not the right thing for us at the time and, and it hurts us and it wounds us. We have disagreements with people. And we associate that with a whole collection of people and so we alienate ourselves from it and we pull away and what we're really doing is, is just leaving the igloo and standing out in the negative 50 degrees. And then we wonder why we don't feel close to God and why we don't feel close to people. And see, that the verse there, if, if, if we go back, if we went back to, and you don't, have to, you don't have to go back there, but if we went back to Hebrews and it says, let us motivate one another, like it's not just about preaching to the people who aren't here. Like you, you may be thinking, okay, Eric, you're giving us this thing about how important it is to be at church. Hey, bro, we're, we're here. 
yeah, you're, you're right. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. But because you're here, whose ministry is it to motivate the person that you know that's not? Is it for us to just sit in the warmth of the igloo and go, wow, they're dumb. They're standing out in the cold. They ought to come on back in the igloo. Maybe God wants you to climb out of the igloo and go get them. <laughs> Say, man, it's a lot warmer in there than it is out here. Just come, just come back in here with us. It's okay. Yeah, we, yeah, I understand all that happened, but that's not a big deal. Like, it's way better for you to get in here with us. And just be together. If we go back to the Cheers song, there's a line in there that says, people are all the same. And what that means in the context of that song, it doesn't mean that only people who are alike are invited to come. When it says you want to go where people know people are all the same, it doesn't mean that we decide that we're only going to let in people who are just like us. What it means is no matter who you are, and we're all so different, it doesn't matter who you are, but you fit in. People are all the same. I've got my hang-ups. You've got yours. We're all the same. And it doesn't matter how crazy off base you think you are. We're all here. Unity in diversity, I think, is Jesus' vision for the church. Unity in diversity. I think that's the kind of church God wants this church to be. An igloo that's warm on the inside because we're here and everybody who comes in experiences the warmth so you say well where do we start like what what do you do now Eric it, it, it's very simple maybe maybe before you leave you just find somebody in this room that you don't know who they are and you go introduce yourself to them simple starts with something that easy and you're like well that's not easy for me well maybe it'll be easy for somebody else and they'll come to you maybe maybe you're thinking of somebody through this whole talk you've been thinking about somebody that you know is not here that you wish they were and you've just been thinking about them the whole time they used to be here they're not here anymore Maybe you leave and you go call them or you text them or you do something to, to reach out to them. Maybe in a few minutes you come to this altar and you know what their hang-ups are. You know why they're not here. And maybe you come here and you ask Jesus to help fix that. You ask Jesus to help use you to fix whatever it is that's going on that's the reason they're not here. We sang in that song earlier, we are friends of Jesus, right? The God, the one who reigns forever, he is a what? Friend of mine. And it's true. So if Jesus is a friend of ours, and Jesus is also a friend of sinners, what does that make us? 
We have to be the friends of sinners. The sinners in here and the sinners out there. That's what we have to be.